I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. We are back on the Anonymous Eagle podcast. My name is Patrick Leary. Uh, joined as always by Sam Newberry. Sam, let's get into the biggest story of the weekend right off the bat, which is that uh, Penn State beat Illinois. <laughs> uh, you, and, you and I must follow completely different uh, big stories in basketball. Um, we're, of course, talking about uh, Marquette uh, beating Providence 76-58 uh, to 58 on Saturday um, in a game that in years past would be considered like part trap game part schedule loss um those are kind of very similar terms but how i mean it is sort of the trap game element of nova being the next game and the schedule loss element of it being an 11 a.m central time road game on a saturday morning on the east coast um that often ends up being a difficult um timing uh circumstance for uh any team but marquette has a recent history of them the one that jumps out is of course last season's st john's loss where they just were never within 10 points in the second half and shamori pond scored 40 um anyway uh there was no doubt about this one at all not really no i mean i i mean Providence's largest lead was seven to two before even the under sixteen in the first half. Yeah. Um, at one point, Marquette's largest lead was sixty-one to thirty-nine. So yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really. It didn't ever really feel like there was. Uh, I mean, anecdotally, it didn't seem to me like Providence was within ten at like any point in the second half. Really, I think they were probably. But, again, yeah, Marquette absolutely put their foot on the gas. And, I mean, I'm going to say it, they blew him out. It wasn't, it wasn't close, really, at any point. And the amazing thing about it um, is that they, Marquette did it um, on one of Marcus Howard's worst games of the season. Um now, Marcus still managed 14 points, um, which obviously is significantly below his average, but is a offensive contribution nonetheless. But uh, the real, um, you know, scoring heft uh, came from the Hauser brothers and Sakar Anum, um, with an with a brief shout out to Ed Morrow, who um, was the only other player that I haven't talked about yet to score. I said, well, potentially his best game in a Marquette uniform. Yeah, oh, he was quite good on both ends. I agree. Um, But I think uh, Kempom gives the MVP to Sam Hauser, um, which I don't really disagree with, especially just given how Sam uh, has struggled um, over the last couple of weeks a little bit um, at times, not globally. Um, Someone who has globally struggled over the last couple of weeks is Joey Hauser, and Joey Hauser was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, on Saturday, 
Uh, it was his best game in a while. Um, I haven't gone back and looked at his recent form to see exactly when it was his best game, but it just, I mean, he has really struggled. Um, and none, nothing really illuminated his struggles more than the end of uh, the Butler game uh, last Wednesday, uh, where he was um, just getting completely, in a game that was already essentially over, uh, getting completely ragdolled by Sean McDermott. Um, and and Wojo sort of left him out to sort of fight through it. And, I mean, he ended up just fouling his way out. But, I mean, absolutely came to play um, against Providence. Um, and I liked how he... I liked his offensive approach, which appeared to be, okay, go in the post to start, get your confidence up, and then start shooting threes um, in rhythm once you sort of establish it and that it, it, it like was a perfect offensive game plan for him um i thought he was fantastic um scar annum as well um i thought was fantastic uh he was his development as an offensive threat has come so far um i think um in a lot of ways he showed flashes of this in biggie's play last year um, but I think he kind of had a tough start to the season offensively and, uh, to see his confidence, um, and see him being able to score in so many ways. You mentioned to me before we started recording that, um, you really liked the evolution of his pull-up jumper. And I think that that's been a big key. Um, I, I, I think he's probably scored. I mean, he loves to attack the rim, but he... He scored with a floater a couple of times in that game. He scored with a pull-up jumper. He scored with a catch-and-shoot three. And obviously, he just yammed all over somebody. I forget who it was for Providence. Um, But, yeah, I mean, his development is huge, especially because he's always such a positive on the defensive end. Well, it's just nuts to me, too, that, like, in any other year, the development of Sakaar as an offensive threat, I mean, uh, for example, last year he shot... 23% 23% from three. This year he's shooting close to 40. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and like, and was in a similar sort of 23, yeah. 25% hole like two months ago. Yeah. Like that's absurd. The, and that's only like the fourth biggest development for the team this yeah. year behind the defense itself, behind Theo John, behind the emergence of Joey Hauser as, you know, a true starting scoring threat. Um, like it's in any other year for Marquette basketball, the evolution of Sakar Anum would be the best story. But this is a wild like year for how well Marquette as a team has developed, and he's just one aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess um, my biggest takeaway besides the the trio of Sam, Joey, and Sakar playing so well, and the obviously the great contributions that Ed Morrow made off the bench, was that um, this was basically the Georgetown game where I mean at least in the Georgetown game. Marcus didn't play period for 37 mm-hmm. minutes, uh, whereas here it just felt like he didn't at times. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, you say he ended up 14 points, but he was only, uh, he was 2 of 12 from the field. Right, and bad. 8, eight of 8 from the free throw line, which is nice, but, you know, he didn't make a two-pointer. He only made two of his six three-point attempts. He wasn't super, it, no. he wasn't, like, playing, uh, like, a deferring role either. I, no. He just wasn't playing particularly well overall. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it just... It's nice to see us go to, a, like you said, it wasn't really a trap game this year, but the dunk has always not been kind to Marquette. Right. Um, you know, in the past we needed a 52-point game from Marcus to win. Um, you know, it, the Marquette-Providence rivalry has always been 
or maybe it's not really a rivalry yet, but it's feeling more and more to me like Providence and us just have such wacky games against each other. It's kind of like well, Seton Hall, yeah. where it's like nothing ever makes sense in Marquette Providence games. So yeah, um, it was nice for yeah. it to just be so normal. Yeah, it was routine. Yeah, like it routine road wins are not a thing we've become accustomed to the last few years from Marquette yeah. basketball. So, you know, this was one where we were the better team, we played like the better team, and even when our All-American point guard wasn't scoring as much as he normally does, we were still comfortably winning on the back of, you know, Sam Hauser shooting four of six from three and getting 13 rebounds. You know, like Joey Hauser shooting three of four from two, three of four from three, Sakar Annam going 7 of 9 from 2. Like, we can win without our all-American starting point guard who averages 26 points a game in conference. Right. That's wild. That's unheard of for this Marquette team the last few years. So, um, it's nice for it to become routine. And, uh, you know, not to uh, throw too much... Not to throw this one too much to the wind, but... It was nice to not fall into the trap before the big one on Wednesday. Yeah, I agree. Um, I wanted to talk about a bit, um, a couple of a couple of threads out of the Providence game. First, I think Providence um, isn't good enough to punish Marquette. Um, uh, there, I texted you. I thought it was a fantastic defensive half. Um, in the first half, and you kind of expressed a little bit of skepticism that Providence was just really not executing the offensive end. And I think if you look at what Providence has done all season, uh, that is like a massive concern because they're a pretty good defensive team. I mean, they're a top fifty defensive team in the country, and for a team that's um, you know barely inside the top hundred in Ken Palm and just fifteen and thirteen. Um, and has you know no tournament hopes at this point. It that's a pretty impressive thing to have a fifty top fifty defense. But you look at their offense, which is ranked one hundred seventy eighth in the country, and they really don't have a player. And I think they needed um, AJ Reeves to be this um, for, and he probably will eventually become that. Um, but they kind of needed a, a they need like a guard scorer, um, somebody who can really attack. Um, that's not sort of whatever tweener Alpha Diallo is. Because Alpha Diallo is a really good player. Um, he's a really um, uh, com- competent um, and a strong Big East contributor. And um, we'll probably get some looks um, on, you know, like first, second teams next year. Um for for Big East, uh, but uh, he's uh, he can't do it alone offensively, and so I thought a lot of maybe Marquette um, being as far ahead as they were the whole game um, had to do with uh, Providence not really being able to punish them on the offensive end. Um, they can't shoot threes either. They're absolutely miserable yeah. from distance, and that just showed. I mean, like, so Marquette led at the half, thirty-one to twenty. Yeah, Marquette is probably the toughest defense Providence has played in a long time, but you know they can't shoot that miserably and win a game. Like, 
Yeah. I am kind of on the fence of like, yeah, Marquette showed up and probably just played as good a defense as they always do. I am skeptical of it being just Marquette's defense that held Providence to 20 points. Like, Providence right. cannot play off. Providence kind of held themselves. Yeah. Uh, Nate Watson was not nearly as big of an offensive force as he was in the previous game. Um, I didn't... I don't know if it's just because he didn't get as many looks. I think that that kind of feels like what it might have been. Uh, he wasn't super effective. I mean, four of nine from the field for a guy of his size and the kind of shots he's taking is not fairly good. middling. Um, but yeah, I mean, if that was sort of the way... Um, that they, the Providence kind of stayed with Marquette last time. Um, they didn't have any of that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it's really difficult to stop Marquette um, when Marcus Howard is not necessary. Like, yeah. if, <laughs> because defenses are going to key on Marcus Howard on every freaking possession essentially as Just, they should as they should but if Sakar Anim is getting a second best perimeter defender and torching him and finding that much open space like there was a there was a play um where I I don't remember exactly when it happened but Marcus got the ball drove his man into the paint Sakar's defender sagged a bit Marcus popped it back out to Sakar, and Sakar essentially made the same drive that Marcus had just made, but since he was a bigger guy, had a softer defender on him, he just popped in like a really easy-looking floater. And it's just that kind of stuff. If Sakar is going to like have the secondary defense, and he's going to have that much confidence, um, and again, being able to score in so many different ways... This team is so much more difficult to stop. Yeah, and especially too, um, I think one of the places that stood out in my mind was uh, Sakar initiating the offense, where he he got a drive and just whipped a pass like across basically the entire court from like the left side of the lane all the way out to the right corner to a wide open Joey Hauser mm-hmm. for three. Like Sakar does so much more for this team than just be the primary perimeter defender. Like. Yeah, it's nice when he's scoring, but I think that one of his undervalued skills is how well he can pass the ball out of the drive, especially because we can sit Marcus Howard, Joey Hauser, and Sam Hauser all out on the perimeter. Um, the four of them were just playing with so much confidence yesterday. Yeah. Like, Marcus obviously was having a bit of an off game, but he wasn't totally, like, letting it dog him, and he, like, pulled from, like, 28 feet at one point and made it in Which the was, guy's face. Yeah. That so, was pretty. It's not like he was playing like without confidence. And the four of them offensively were just, you know, they were zipping all over the place. They were making shots from everywhere. They were scoring in so many different ways. It's like, and I mean, you saw what I, Ken Palm kind of adjusted Marquette up offensively, at least a little bit. Marquette's now in the top 20 in Ken Palm offensively, which is not a place they've been for a long time. Um, and uh, they are now om- right on the cusp of being a 40% three-point shooting team. Yeah. Which, Good for fifth in the nation. Yeah, fifth in the nation, and, like, the only team that is, well, depending on how, depending on your persuasion, the only team that is significantly of note above them is Virginia Tech. However, Wofford is also ahead of them, so given my persuasion for Wofford, I, uh, I count that. Um, but, anyway... Point is to be saying the offense is really, really improving. The defense is holding, 
and this team, if they have all four of their offensive primary offensive weapons plus one of their centers playing well, um, that's an elite offensive team. Um, and they looked it against a really good defensive team. I believe coming in, Providence was the best defense uh, conference only, according to Ken Palm. Yeah. So for them to go in and do that and play as well as they did offensively is a big, you know, is very significant. Um, and now Marquette has also just become the uh, conference only uh, defense leader. And since Villanova's in a slump, they are catching them offensively as well. Yeah. But um, I guess we could talk about that briefly uh, before we sort of look ahead to Villanova. Well, I was going to save that for when we're looking ahead. Okay, so we, we um, can save that. Well, I was going to say, like, just uh, quickly, uh, last thoughts oh, yeah, go ahead. for uh, the Providence game. I mean, um, I guess maybe more so projecting Marquette going forward. Uh, I still think that, like, uh, if, if just looking at the, the box score, um, you know, Theo John and Ed Morrow split the minutes – Basically 50-50. Ed Morrow played 23 minutes. Theo John played 17. Um, you know, Nate Watson's a, a good post defender. Theo didn't have the best day with him. Uh, 0 for 3 from the floor. Um, did have three rebounds and a block. Um, did turn the ball over twice. Like we said earlier, this was probably Ed Morrow's best game in a Marquette uniform. 5-7 um, of seven from the field. Was an offensive threat. Could figure out Watson. Um, it's just so nice to know that we play too deep at center and like so I'm thinking of like the elite like centers in college basketball um yeah. I think like Bruno Fernando you think he's a really good player yeah he's really come on this year you know you think uh, some of those other guys that are elite at center not many teams can go too deep at center and really not lose a whole lot now, obviously Gonzaga is one that comes to mind yeah um they like to rotate uh Petrusev and uh Clark along with Hachimura sort of in a Three man, and plus when they had Tilly, they yeah. could they could do that. But you're right. Um, well, and obviously you know Theo John is, you know, air quotes only six nine. Um, Ed Morrow six seven. I dare someone to tell Theo John that he's not a big man to his face. Well, uh, yeah, but like that would happen for being for playing two centers that traditionally would be considered undersized. Ed Morrow being undersized no matter what. Um, you know, I think another element of it, not to cut you off, but is that the rotation of it is sort of egoless. Yeah. Um, there's been like a lot made about how well those two guys get along and how well they they are. At, you know, obviously you you said they have different games, um, uh, but they kind of seamlessly transition and don't, um, you know, don't uh, really hold it against each other. It doesn't seem like when one is playing well and the other one isn't. Um, it it is a little reminiscent to me not totally apples to apples given some age disparities and quality disparities it reminds me a little bit of Haas and Harms last year for Purdue um Haas is probably a much better player than either Ed or Theo he was than they are right now but it's kind of a similar situation where you've got two guys that are never on the court at the same time um but are pretty um you know, they each bring their own uh, skill set and uh, effectiveness to the table. Sure. Um, I guess the bigger point I want to make out of this, though, is that, uh, you know, we definitely have our starting five at this point. Um, we definitely have our first man off the bench in Ed Morrow, usually. Um, I think that, uh, so I'm just looking at this. Uh, Brendan Bailey played eight minutes. Jamal Kane played five minutes. Chartouni played three minutes. Right. 
Um, how sustainable that is, you know, we'll see. Obviously, the rotation was always going to cut down a little bit as we got closer to the right. tournament. But I think this is sort of the time where... Um, so we're playing nine guys right now, technically. Um, I think that uh, for Marquette's deep run viability in the tournament, we need to figure out the eight guys we're going to play. And, like, can Marcus play every minute every game? I mean, he's certainly in shape to do it, although um, the potential pulled groin minor injury wasn't the best thing yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he got... he. There were, like, two or three different yeah. occasions where it seemed like he was banged up. Yeah, but... Um, and that's going to happen because yeah. people are going to attack him physically because he's so small. I mean, obviously, he's a... He's a tank of a small guy, but he's yeah. going to get pushed around. Yeah, so I think that um, you know, going forward, you need one of Bailey, Kane, and Chartuni to step up to be the sure seventh guy. I agree. Um, and you need one of the others to be that complementary piece. Yeah. Um, and right now, none of them are really grabbing that role. Yeah. Um, so we, we, I think that that's one thing that needs to be figured out. And you know, you, you'd like to see one of those three have a ton of confidence and a lot of good minutes off the bench going forward. Yeah. So, you know, even if we don't win the Big East tournament, even if we don't win the Big East regular season, um, you know, I think the more important thing for this team in the NCAA tournament is having, you know, two of those three guys come in with a lot more confidence and, you know, more minutes than eight, five, and three every game. Right. Um, Well, so... Of those, of those three, which one needs to be in the rotation in confident tournament? I, as far as what I see as the most upside, um, I think Jamal Cain has the most to give at this point. I think Brendan Bailey um, has showed that he's a good defender, um, and if that's how they plan to use him, he should probably be more of a rotation for Sakar than anything. Um, I think he needs to stop shooting the corner three. Yeah, he hasn't hit one in he, what seems like forever. He didn't ever really establish it to begin with, and now is ice cold with it. Yeah. And it's just like, it doesn't seem like... It's a shot that he seems to feel comfortable with, but it just it doesn't ever look like it's going in because it's 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 a very like low, flat shot that sort of just rims. I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of it. Um... And I think he has actually showed that he can kind of get to the rim occasionally. So I'd almost r- rather him do that. Um, Jamal Kane, though, um, I think he he went through a period, obviously, where he was sort of exiled. Um, but I think you're seeing his confidence grow. I mean, he didn't really do much on Saturday, but he looked a lot better on Wednesday. Um, and I think Jamal Kane is someone that you can turn to because he has that one really strong skill where he grabs those weak side rebounds. Um, and you know, on Wednesday we was showing some confidence with like pulling into that three he made, which was really impressive. So I think one of Bailey and Kane is going to need, is going to be called on to do something. Um, Chartuni, I don't really know how important he is going forward. Um, if your four best guys are healthy, n- not counting the centers, so the Housers, Annam, and Howard, you're going to want to play those guys as much as possible. Those guys are in good enough shape to where that they can, you know, go 35 minutes a game in these big postseason games. 
So I don't really know how important Shartuni is going to be going forward. He he could probably do a competent job of spelling Marcus at the point, and I don't think that Steve Wojciechowski is going to intentionally play a lineup that doesn't have Marcus Howard or Joseph Shartuni um, in it, really, going forward. But the question is, like, how much do you need a lineup without Marcus Howard? And it's right now the answer is probably like four minutes a game at most. Yeah, that's and fair. I don't think Chartuni is doing a lot that makes playing both him and Howard a really improved option, especially if Sakar is playing really, really well. Jamal Kane is contributing in any sort of way. I don't. It doesn't. You don't really need. Chartuni a ton right now and I think going forward especially as you're going to try to maximize your best four guys he's not as important because his it's not really skill set but what he can unlock isn't super original or vital or any sort of improvement yeah I think um I have to agree with that um I think really it's he doesn't contribute enough on offense that his offensive contribution right now is redundant we have, we don't need him to make wacky it's passes like, yeah. to, like to get assists because our ball movement is that good. There was a possession against Providence that was like the platonic form of beauty of ball movement. Like, yeah. you know, like that we we can do it without him, which sucks because we all thought going into the season that he was going to be a huge piece in unlocking the offense, but we kind of can do it without him, especially if Sakar is playing as well as he is, like you said. So I kind of agree with you. I think that. Um, He'll be the first one to fall out of the rotation. Um, I think Jamal Kane um, has played his way back into favor. Um, and, I mean, as you said, on Wednesday we saw him look confident on offense. And I think that more than anything, his shot's a lot more confident than Bailey's right now. And so I'd rather turn to him than Bailey. Um, yeah. I mean, if, it, I, if I need to, someone to make a shot, because I think Jamal is a little bit more versatile yeah. and a little bit more confident. Bailey can get to the rim, but... Jamal's pull-up jumper is a lot prettier than I thought. It would. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think that uh, the the two of them together playing a combined so they played a combined thirteen minutes against Providence. If they're playing a combined fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. that's probably fine. Yeah, um, that's about probably where you need it. To be. Yeah, and you, Brendan is a wacky, lanky uh, defender that can still guard on the perimeter. So like. I think that um, as long as you can sort of drill it into Brandon's head that he doesn't need to take shots, um, or his best shot is like not the corner three, get yeah. a little bit closer to the rim because his pull-up jumper hasn't looked miserable. It's not been great, but it's looked better than the corner three has. Um, I think that if you can sort of drill it into his head that, A, we don't need you to make shots as I, granted, he only attempted one against Providence, but I think he missed like four or five against Butler. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need him to do that. Um, I think if he can sort of instill it in himself that he's a defender first and he causes problems on the perimeter because of his length and his speed and his athleticism, mm-hmm. um, I think that as long as those two are combining for you know fifteen minutes a night, that's probably fine. Yeah. Okay, um, so we are going to talk about Villanova, both from a what happened um, about two hours ago as we're recording this perspective, and uh, what's hopefully or hopefully not going to happen on Wednesday night, Um, and we will be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. 
From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Uh, let's talk about Villanova. Uh, Villanova, uh, this afternoon, uh, we're recording this um, in the middle of the afternoon, late afternoon here on uh, Sunday. Villanova just dropped a head scratcher um, of a game to Xavier. Their third loss in a row. Their third consecutive loss. Not something that they do. Um, I think Andy said on Twitter that they haven't done that since the new Big East started. You would be well. They hadn't which, lost back to back games. Back to back games, right? So much less I, three in a row. Right. I believe. I totally believe. Um, just given their dominance, um, and I and we can sort of spin it forward to Marquette in a little bit, but I think that thirteen and five or twelve and six in the conference is a much more accurate summation of Villanova's overall ability than their 10-0 start was. Um, I'm, especially now, as they sort of globally slump as a team, I'm beginning to think that um, this team does not play um, at anywhere near their previous caliber Unless Phil Booth and Eric Pascal are playing out of their minds, yeah, like their their A game, like maybe not A plus. They don't need to be just like you know going crazy, but they both need to be like scoring like fifteen to twenty points and you know contributing in the other ways that they contribute. Um, now again, Villanova is not a great defensive team um, this year, and that's been a huge step back for them. But um, they were getting by on their shooting. Um, throughout the Big East, uh, the start of the Big East season, uh, and now uh, they are decidedly not getting through on their shooting. Um, they were 10 of 36 for 27% uh, at Xavier today uh, after going, like we said, on uh, the uh, midweek show, uh, 23% at Georgetown. Uh, they are in a large shooting slump and uh, a large contributor to that is Phil Booth. Um, Booth was two of nine from three again today. Phil Booth's last, basically since the Marquette game, uh, Phil Booth was one of seven against Marquette. He was two of five from three against Providence, 0 for six against St. John's, three of 10 against Georgetown, and two for nine against Xavier. And he's down to 36.5% for the year. And Phil Booth probably needs to be a 40% three-point shooter for Villanova to succeed. Um, Because, again, this team is playing... uh, Their guard rotation is Phil Booth, Colin Gillespie, Joe Cremo, and Javon Quinterly. And besides Phil Booth, those three guys are immensely flawed at this point. Um, Colin Gillespie is a solid player... Um, he's a he's much more of a rotational piece, I think, than a starter. But he's a solid contributor who has his flaws in that he's really small um, and 
is not a very good defensive player. Um, and uh, he really hasn't uh, – he, he doesn't – his primary offensive contribution is his shooting um, and passing. Um, but he's not a guy that can really score at will, especially if he's, as he's doing right now, only shooting 37% from three. Um, and then the rest of Villanova is sort of Eric Pascal has a really intriguing game-stretching ability. Um, Sadiq Bey I really like, but is um, kind of similar to how Sam Hauser was as a freshman in that he doesn't really take over games, even though he contributes effectively. Um, and then I don't even know what to say about Demir Cosby, Ron Strange, Jermaine Samuels. Those guys are... Uh, they just, like... I, I think the biggest yeah. takeaway I have for them is just they don't, like... It, it It seems like they don't matter to Villanova's offense. It seems like Jay right. Wright is foul everything through Phil Booth and Eric Paschal. And, I mean, it's one thing to, like, lean on the experience that you have. That's, right. like, it's one thing. But it's another thing to completely disregard your other offensive options. Because, I mean, like... Sadiq Bey is going to be a problem in the Big East. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sadiq Bey is pretty um, good. I don't know what Quinterly is going to do. I'm not sure he'll be at Villanova next year, but he was one of uh, eight from the, or two of eight from the field today, one of six from three. Uh, for being as hyped as he was coming in, Jay Wright has firmly thrown him on the bench. Um, he did play 20 minutes today. Which I was going to say, it's good to see him play a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, but like that, that's the most run he's gotten in a while. Right. And, you know... If he's not making shots, it's a problem. How many minutes do you think he played against Marquette? I'll, uh, I'll look it up. Five, six, seven. But I was going to guess like three or four. Um, Joe Cremo is... It says he played zero. I don't know if I believe that. I would believe that. said he played zero and like, but like was on the court. So yeah, again, like this is just kind of a new yeah. development that he's even playing. Yeah. Um, Joe Cremo has not been good for Villanova at all. Period. Um, he's a miserable three-point shooter somehow. Um, yeah, and... Was advertised as a good one coming in, right? He was advertised like Chartuni was, where he could like make the three, but was also like a key like perimeter defender. But he shot forty five percent last year at Albany. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, he, and like one hundred sixty two attempts, like is that's nuts. That's a lot and of attempts. Now he, now he can't shoot. Yeah, no, he's ten um, percent down. Yeah, I mean Demir Crosby, Rontri playing. He's listed at the same height as Theo. He's much less of a true big man than Theo. Or even Ed Morrow. He's a bench piece. Yeah. Uh, well, he's a starter just because they don't have anybody above 6'9 on their team. Yeah. Right. And Eric Paschal and Sadiq Bey, while both technically forwards, uh, you know, are much more like the Hauser brothers than they are true big men. So they lack an interior presence. Yeah. And they rely immensely on three-point well, shooting they're and still, haven't been doing it. They're still the team that takes the second most three-point right. attempts per field goal attempt. And they ha- they've been missing... A bunch, a bunch like, now. Yeah, they are. The they cold, missed twenty-one today. They are the coldest. The, I have them missing twenty-six today. Uh, oh, really? Did I do that wrong? I did that yeah. wrong. I thought it was thirty-one. Yeah, they, they made today. ten threes today and missed twenty-six. Yeah, that is not a recipe for success. Well, and it was a. Li- it was even more extreme than this. Um, with a few minutes to go, but they attempted thirty-six threes and four free throws. So, I mean... To be fair, and they did bring it up on the broadcast that I was listening to. Okay, um, I was at the gym, so I wasn't hearing it. Sure. Uh, but they did bring up the fact that Xavier is the lowest fouls per 40 um, oh, okay. team in the Big East, which is fair, but Villanova's a jump-shooting team. They're, yeah. like, 
they have nobody for the most part that'll draw. F- but like, they, but they, they have bodies that could get fouls. They're just so dependent on the three. It really yeah. they they need to not be. Which I mean, so they they attempt free throws attempted per field goals attempted. Another great stat that Ken Palm has part mm-hmm. of the four factors. Um, they're 153rd in the nation. So worst offensive skill. Yeah, it's their worst offensive skill. Um, Marquette is only 128th, mind you, but Marquette is also a jump shooting team. Like, for the most part, a jump shooting yeah, team. Yeah, I mean, we have the Hauser brothers. It's a very... Uh, yeah. As our auxiliary guys. Anyway, though... Um, and then Nova's defense just couldn't stop. I mean, like, I'm looking at Xavier's scoring. Well, Xavier that. was inspirational today, man. I was watching that comeback and just, like, the energy and how much it meant to them, even yeah. though they're completely out of the tournament at this point and have basically been dead in the water for a month. For them to, like, clearly, I mean, clearly, like, Najee Marshall and Tyreek Jones had been on those Xavier teams that had been going at it against Nova in the Big East and always sort of, Nova always sort of had their number. Um, And you could tell how much that meant to them, especially probably given the fact that they're so down this year. Um, they freaking went to war in those last ten minutes, and they were incredible. Seventeen to nothing run is the big indicator. Yeah, just, Nova's defense had no answer for the shots Xavier was making. Nova and naturally Nova tried to shoot their way out of it. Yeah. It was just cold as ice. Nova naturally snapped the streak with a Joe Cremo layup. That was yeah. very, uh, you know, very appropriate. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, Nova's now lost three in a row. Confidence is probably at an all-time low, considering how good they've been recently. Um, considering they started 10-0 and in conference. Um, Marquette goes to Philly on Wednesday. Uh, how do we feel about that? Um, for me, I like the game because, unlike the Providence game, it's a game that even if they lose, it's like... Well, Villanova gave them their top gear, and the loss doesn't really hurt them that much. Um, it, 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 as as a fan uh, going into it, I feel a lot, you know, safer about it. Um, I also am really conscious about Nova's like mentality right now, which today seemed awful. And now, you know, maybe it doesn't get that bad um, if uh, they were in a non-hostile environment because as you experienced when you went to the Xavier game this year um, that is a really hot crowd especially if they know that they are playing an opponent that they would really benefit from beating Um, just in general I mean they go kind of nuts for all their home games especially when it's like Nova or Marquette this year or you know Nova last year or any other good team last year like that is a difficult place to play yeah, it is, and so maybe part of it is Nova has sort of the one. I guess the game in the Nova stretch right now that doesn't make sense is the Georgetown game. Um, yes, you can like St. John's. The losses yeah. to, to Marquette and St. John's are like Marquette is as good as they are. It was a road game; they lost by one. St. John's is a tough matchup. They got blitzed at the end. They lost by six. The Georgetown game makes no sense. The Xavier one is sort of a product of um, that's a really tough environment. That's a team that really cared about beating Villanova, um, and they absolutely lost their ability to score. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I like 
how Marquette is playing right now, though. Like, the confidence that they approached the Providence game with and having the win already in Milwaukee. Um, if it if Nova was similarly... Um, was slightly hot um, coming into this game, I would be more worried about it. Because I think for Villanova, mentally, this game is going to be a lot more about needing to win anything as opposed to needing to beat Marquette. Um, Whereas if Villanova was, like, holding serve and then, like, you know, circling this one on the schedule, um, all right, we got to get this loss back. Um, I would be less worried about it. And Marquette almost now, uh, Marquette can clinch a share of the Big East title in this game. And clinch the number one seed in the Big East tournament. Yeah, and it's almost like the the game itself, as far as like caring about the opponent across the way, means more to Marquette in this instance. Um, Nova just needs to win anything. They don't need to beat Marquette. Marquette specifically like wants... You know, to clinch the conference by beating the team that has dominated the conference. Um, so where and I just like Villanova is going to need to be shooting threes to beat Marquette. I mean, that's how they got back in the game in Milwaukee. Um, they're not going to be able to break Marquette's two point defense down. No, nearly no, at all. Nova's not a team to break Marquette's two point. They don't have a post threat. Um, that's a big weakness for them. Nobody can really drive that well. On yeah, their team. like Phil Booth will attack a fair amount, um, but if Nova is going to do the thing that they have done um, for most of the season, which is essentially just like rely on making three pointers, um, they're gonna need to actually like be playing well to beat Marquette because. And Nova's defense won't stop Marquette's offense, I think. No, uh, Marcus Howard was not affected by Phil Booth's defense, really, um, in the game in Milwaukee. Um, And, again, uh, the Hauser brothers were almost complete non-factors, and Marquette still won. So, given how well the Hauser brothers played on Saturday... Given how well, like, somebody like Ed Morrow played on Saturday... Yeah, like... I just I think Marquette has too much offensively to throw at them, and and everybody's hot and at yeah. the right time. And the confidence is so yeah. high. Like um, that doesn't mean I don't think we'll get blown out there because like I just like every narrative is pointing to Jay Wright figuring out a way to blow us out in Philly. Like everything about this yeah. narrative is screaming that to me. I want to pick Marquette in this game. That's I'm the sure. thing is like I don't. It's it's but it's hard to say. Like is Jay Wright? Is there anything Jay Wright can do right now? That's like fair. it just feels like Nova's missing shots and Jay Wright can't make the shots for them. That's also fair. I mean, um, like I I think every narrative still points to Nova just trouncing Marquette at home. But you know, I I've said that about a lot of games this year, and we've yeah. you know outside of the two St. John's ones, we've won every one. You know, we were we were horrified to play at Hinkle. You know, it's been our boogeyman. We walked out of there with an easy road win. Yeah. Playing at the dunk is always a problem because Marquette and Providence can't play a normal game of basketball, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, walked out of there with a win. A comfortable win on Saturday. Yeah. Like, I'm going to keep my streak going. Of, I think it's we're, we're going to lose at Nova. I think, that, I think that at this point, if Nova had maybe not lost to Georgetown or not lost to Xavier, I could mm-hmm. see where 
that would be a little bit more comfortable to me because Nova's like, okay, we're fine, but this is going to be like a five-alarm fire. What is happening to Villanova? We have to play the best team in the conference at home now on Wednesday, and I think that they're going to respond. Now, I want to be wrong. I'm just saying what I think is going to happen. I don't think we're going to crush them. I don't no. I don't think we're going to run them out of their own building. Yeah, I highly I, doubt that. Because I just like yeah, you've got to think like veteran team. Half the guys have won a national championship. Like they'll be they'll be in a mindset to you know handle that adversity. They'll they'll work their tails off to get better uh, over the next couple of days to prepare. Um, but again, like I don't know what they do to keep Marquette at arm's length besides make threes that they haven't been making in the last three weeks. Yeah. Um, and so if they don't, if they can't find that, um, I think Marquette is in a much, uh, is in a great position to win this game. And then obviously like they win that game. It's everything is everything in the regular season is fairly accomplished. Um, but you know, Let's not count our chickens before yeah. they hash there. Although, if Marquette does win at Villanova on Wednesday, not only do they clinch a share of the Big East title and clinch the number one seed in uh, New York, but they also just need one more win to win the conference outright. Yeah. Um, so, yep. And that would really set up nicely for that, would be great. that Creighton game. Yeah, that would be great. But, um, you know, again, like you said, don't count the chickens yet. Um, no. There's a lot of work still to be done. Yep. Um, okay, I think we're going to take one more break here, and then we're going to come back and do sort of maybe 10-ish minutes uh, ranting about various college basketball things. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, general college basketball ranting time. Um, I guess where I want to start, Michigan State just beat Michigan, um, and that's a good point to discuss our, you know, jump into our, you know, sort of general Big Ten narrative where Michigan and Michigan State are essentially pegged as two seeds right now and I am not like concerned about um any uh either of them as like second uh as final four teams at least Um, not right now no like I have been a huge fan of the Marquette versus Michigan uh matchup that um the committee put that in their uh round of or their uh, top 16 projection. Um, and I think a lot of uh, internet bracketologists have had that in there um, just because of, uh, you know, they paired it a lot and there hasn't been a ton of movement. Um, I think that that's a, um, a matchup that I would be very okay with um, because um, Michigan offensively, they just... They, this is how they just lost this Michigan State they game. Can't score. Yeah, I mean they just had a stretch with like four points in ten minutes to blow that Michigan State game, um, which 
you just I don't know and and it happens to them a ton they're they don't have like a regular offensive threat their point guard is like kind of a non-shooter um Bryce Dacus is inconsistent Poole doesn't decide to play up to his a game um too often um they 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 miss um some of the threats that they had on last year's team um it's not the same um it's it's not your John Beeline team that doesn't get a lot of respect and makes a deep run. It's uh, it, it looks like the obvious. They miss uh, they miss Wagner and Robinson a, a lot more um, than is getting discussed, um, especially because they've basically been sitting in the top ten all season. Um, anyway, so that's a matchup I would like to see for Marquette. Um, I think they would uh, take care of that. Obviously, you know. Whether Marquette is going to be able to hold on to that three seed, there's been a lot of sort of motion from behind Marquette. Um, specifically, Texas Tech and LSU are the two teams immediately behind them in the bracket matrix. Both had huge quad one wins this weekend. Yeah, I mean... Um, over um, Kansas and Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I don't really see Marquette falling out of the three seed line. Um, yeah. I think that more likely it'll be... Houston is like two bad losses away from falling off the three line, but they're also undefeated right. away from maybe challenging for a two. Um, My thought is Kansas might. Yeah, Kansas might. Just like if Kansas loses to Kansas State, that'd be two in a row against opposition that is good, but from behind them. Um, and it continues to bring into question sort of what that team is um, without uh, – uh, Vic and um, Doka. Doka, yeah. So uh, I mean, yeah, I think that I think Marquette's pretty well entrenched, short of a massive losing streak to end the year. Um, I think Marquette's pretty well entrenched on the three line. I don't, I don't see it unless everybody below them. So Texas Tech, LSU, Wisconsin, Iowa State, Florida State, Nevada, Maryland, Kansas State. You know, those are according to bracket matrix the. Uh, the fours and fives, unless all of the any, unless like a majority of those teams have great years to end to end the year or great runs to end the year, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Marquette's pretty well entrenched on the three line. Um, really, the only bad loss Marquette has is, I guess they, they only have two bad losses. St. John's at home, just a home loss to you know a, I guess. a low. A lower seed, and then the absolute head scratcher getting blown out by twenty five at Indiana. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that there's really not much else to be said about that. Um, I'm m- much more concerned about who Marquette might potentially match up with at this point. Um, yeah. Um, I. So obviously, it's Marquette's long term prospects for this NCAA tournament. Um, Will be greatly aided by the by getting a three seed. Um, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't have to be said that getting a higher seed makes your path easier. Um, but if you look at sort of what the crop of sixes versus the crop of fives are, and obviously the crop of ones versus the crop of twos, pretty much the only way I see Marquette getting to um, the elite eight is. Um, with a three seed as opposed to a four or a five. Um, yeah. 
because I don't think I, and a lot of people have parroted this um, on Twitter and other social media that um, we probably need to see a two seed in the Sweet 16 to go to the Elite Eight because I don't see any so like assuming that it's pick from these five teams Virginia Duke Gonzaga Tennessee Kentucky I think it's I think it's going to end up being Virginia Duke Gonzaga Kentucky with fairly strong confidence the only wrench in the in the argument would be if Tennessee wins at or uh, beats Kentucky at Tennessee and then wins um, the SEC yeah um, because I think Tennessee's loss to LSU has a lot of people thinking that they stockpiled wins against bad competition um, and are not actually as good as people thought they were where they were hanging out at yeah, number I mean, one for a month. Yeah, the, the big thing that they have um, in their in the win department is a win over Gonzaga on a neutral court. Right. That's, that's, that's the big one. Yeah. Um, well, and I just think as a team, they have two guys that look like they would do literally anything to win any game at any time with Williams and Schofield. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I... Like I said, pick from the five four teams. Yeah, um, I don't want to see Tennessee as a two seed either. Um, and then no, I, it would be the Michigan schools if I had to choose. Yeah, I, I don't want to see North Carolina. No, either. North Carolina has had a really good week, um, a really convincing win um, over Florida State yesterday, following up their um, weird Zion game where he they, didn't, yeah. they won by like twenty, but he. Didn't play. He didn't play, and it wasn't really a Duke team that was prepared to play without him. Um, but yeah, I, I again, yeah, I think Marquette needs to hold that three seed because I don't yeah. really like their odds against any of the teams that have sort of yeah. um, established themselves as the one seed. Um, other sort of minutia. Um, I mean, Wofford is sixteen and zero in the SoCon. Yeah, I, I definitely would shout that out. Wofford needs to be in contention for an eight seed at this point. Like, well, at minimum, Wofford needs an at large, even yeah, if they lose in their conference. I agree tournament. that I agree. It'd be ridiculous. Now, if they lose to like Chattanooga or Samford, who are their last two games on their schedule, and then um, lose in the conference, and then lose maybe. in the conference tournament, it's like okay, well, you can talk me into like, are they really doing that? Well, I still think they should get an at large mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and but yeah, I mean this the Southern Conference is not to be slept on this year. The Southern Conference, according to Ken Palm, is the 10th best conference in the country. Um, it it trails uh, the uh, traditional Power Six, the American, which is actually ahead of the Pac-12, which is hilarious, um, Gonzaga's Conference, the West Coast Conference, and Buffalo's Mid-American. Um, so it's of the, of the sort of non... Um, carried by a really strong team mid-major leagues Houston carrying the AAC which I think is mid-majors potentially not appropriate there Gonzaga carrying WCC and um, Buffalo carrying the MAC uh, the Southern Conference presents the most balance of um, these sort of minor leagues because on top of Wofford they have three other uh, top 100 Ken Palm teams um, which is wild Gr- Greensboro East Tennessee State and Furman Furman being the best of the three, but Wofford smacked Furman, or didn't smack him, but won at Furman, which is a quad one win, winning at Furman, which is hilarious. Um, and, I, I mean, again, I it came up earlier on the pod when we were talking about Marquette establishing itself as a three-point shooting juggernaut. Um, Wofford is better, Not. and Wofford's best player, uh, who was the only player that... Uh, uh, 
what is his name? Jeff Goodman, uh, ranked as a better shooter than Marcus Howard coming into the year, has had like a down shooting season to where he's young he's Fletcher working his McGee. way. Yeah, young Fletch. Um, he's working his way back. He's almost to forty percent now. Um, but that's a guy that shot forty two last year, um, and forty eight as a freshman. Um, he's an incredibly talented shooter. That whole team just. I really hope they don't get stuck against Duke. Yeah. In in a or you know a healthy Zion Duke in a uh, eight nine to one game because I think it would be a waste of a team that could potentially like I hope they get to a seven seed. Um, they're a nine in the matrix. Um, it would take a lot of convincing um, the appropriate uh, folks on the committee to get them to a seven seed. But if they went out and win the conference tournament, I think there's an, ar- an argument for it because I would love to see them as a team that could potentially uh, run through um, a softer bottom of a bracket um, and and you know cause some havoc. I'm telling you, man, this team is. They are Complete. like they are upset pick number one. It's just like uh, yeah, it's for me. It's for me. It's them or Buffalo. Um, yeah. For me, um, depending on how you even feel about Buffalo, whether they should be even included in that conversation, given that they're twenty in Ken Palm and have been yeah. In the top I mean, I think like year. they're they're going to be um, what, for example, like Wichita State has been in the past. Yep. Know, sort of like running around like the Wichita State being given a little bit more credit and being put at sort of like a, a four or five seed instead of, say, a seven, eight, nine. Um, but I, if I'm a one seed, I especially if I'm like Gonzaga. Uh, Gonzaga's been good, don't get me wrong. I don't want to see Wofford on my eight, nine line. Yeah, Gonzaga's... We can have a brief conversation about Gonzaga. Um, I, 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 it's kind of difficult this year. Again, it's always difficult to talk about Gonzaga because it's like, okay... Um, you know, if they were in the Big 12, would they be doing this? Um, this year, I think you look at it and just the way that they're beating everybody just so badly. They beat Santa Clara 98-39. to Yeah. I mean, but last night they Santa beat... Santa Clara's not good, but like, no. what? Well, you know who is good? BYU is at least competent. They're not a tournament team, but they're top 100 in Ken Palm. They're 77. And Gonzaga beat them 102-68 to last night. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean a big one for me. BYU away beat them ninety three to sixty three. Yeah. San Diego at, or uh, San Francisco at home ninety two to sixty two. It's a stupid resume. St. Mary's at home ninety four to forty six. St. Mary's being thirty four in Ken Palm. Like Pacific scored thirty six points against Gonzaga. Yeah. At, in Spokane. Yeah, like they're a, they're a, according to Ken Palm they're the number one offense and they're a top twenty five defense. Yeah. I mean, you can. Ken Palm is pretty good about not about adjusting per conference. So Gonzaga is very good, but I still just like I don't think I think if I'm Virginia or Gonzaga, I don't want to see. Um, yeah, Virginia's another one. Virginia's yeah. number one in Ken Palm again. Um, I think they were pre-tournament last year too, yeah. um, but obviously then they lost Hunter and then they went downhill. I Virginia's another team. Virginia and Gonzaga both have these outsized tournament um, skepticism reputations. Yeah. Uh, Virginia, based on last year and, you know, somewhat previous years where they would just kept running into Tom Izzo. Um, but uh, after last year, Virginia is going to be... Um, people are going to put absolutely no faith in Virginia having um, 
you know, gone. They'll probably end up going. They, I think they have a. They don't have really any hard games left. Their hardest game left is at Syracuse because then they have a rematch with Louisville, who they handled with a second half barrage yesterday. Um, they Georgia Tech and Pitt, so they're going to end up somewhere at like thirty and three probably yeah. uh, going into the tournament. And I, I just think people are just going to be like, oh, they lost to a sixteen seed last year. No way we can do with that. And I just think that that's mishandling. And Gonzaga is going to get that same sort of reputation as they haven't played anybody when they played Tennessee and North Carolina. They lost to them. Now, what helps them is that win in Maui against Duke. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess my general point about Virginia and Gonzaga is don't sleep on them just because um, they've had tournament struggles in the past or are untested or um, don't play a style that you think can contribute because I think those are clearly, along with Duke, um, sort of the teams that are head and shoulders above and I'm Kentucky con- is yeah, getting there. I saying Kentucky's getting there. I, I just think that right now Kentucky is the hottest team in the nation. Sure. Um, and I think everything about Kentucky is a matchup problem for anybody right now. Yeah. Um, I think... Like I, I have a lot more confidence in somebody like a Wofford getting hot against Gonzaga or even like a Virginia where, like, yeah, this is the best offense that Tony Bennett's had at Virginia, mm-hmm. but they still can't really play a ton of catch-up. I mean, obviously they blew out Louisville, but that was all on their defense. Like, if their defense isn't absolutely handling you, then they their offense isn't still isn't fast enough to keep up, in my, in my opinion. Sure. I mean, and obviously, like, you know, I can talk out my butt for that, and then they still have the number four offense according to Kemp. Right. Like, but just nothing about them gives me the confidence. It's like if Wofford can drop a fifteen point lead on them, and then can like, and if Virginia can't find a way to stop them, like it's it'll be UMBC all mm-hmm. over again, just in one round later. Um, and then same thing with Gonzaga. It's like, can they take a punch from you know Fletcher McGee and Co. getting just stupid hot from three, and I think I I don't know how to say that. I mean, I still think they're the favorites no matter what, but like I I don't think I want to see Wofford as either of them. I'd be a lot more confident if I was Duke who had Zion or Kentucky right now. And yeah. that that's my very not advanced stats supported, not you know all these different efficiency uh, metrics supported opinion. One thing I want to say briefly before we go here about um, that sort of eight nine thing is. Um, I think you could end up seeing Washington and Syracuse in that range. And I think that that is something that I've maybe overlooked in recent years. Um, but that needs to sort of be talked about is that that zone defense on a one game elimination sample is really hard to play against. And now that there are two teams that are sort of lurking in that second round upset range um, that have that zone. And, you know, Syracuse has done it consistently they have a track record of way outperforming their seed because the zone holds up um uh, washington if you haven't watched this year um has a guy named matisse thibule who is like the you mentioned platonic earlier platonic ideal of a top of the zone player because he is just like a steals machine he has super long arms and is mega athletic um he he probably will end up being Pac-12 Player of the Year. Maybe not. Nope, yeah, he's, he's not. He's not even said, re- well, registering. I mean, wow, that's surprising. Yeah, he has the number one steal percentage in the country yeah. at seven percent, which is absurd. Yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I guess he's probably not going to win that. But yeah, do you see his block percentage? Is 
He's 6'5". He's got a block percentage that is 50th in the country, essentially, yeah. as well. So he's an incredible player for that zone. Um, and given how confident Washington is um, having essentially run through an albeit bad Pac-12, um, I think that that uh, is another thing you could point to um, as a potential scary thing uh, for uh, one of these top seeds in the tournament. Um, the Big 12... Um, that race is basically going to come down to um, if Kansas State can win in in Lawrence yeah, on if Monday, Kansas, if, then the streak if, is yeah, over. If Kansas State wins tomorrow night, then the streak is probably over. Yeah. Because um, Kansas is 9-5 and five in conference right now. They have two teams ahead of them. Baylor is tied with them. Um, and just looking forward, like uh, Kansas has Kansas State tomorrow night at home. They have Oklahoma State and Oklahoma away, and then they have Baylor at home to end the season. Like, yeah. if Kansas loses tomorrow night to Kansas State at home, it's the, yeah, I, I don't foresee yeah. how they, like, at that point, Kansas State has to drop, like, four straight, for, yeah. or three straight for Kansas to even have a shot. Right. So, um, Kansas coming off of last night getting absolutely smothered by Tech. That was crazy. Um, Tech, Tech's a team that... I had kind of written off mid-season just because their offense was so bad. Um, but their offense is up to 47 now in the and country. They, and they have the best defense. And they've had the best defense. Yeah. Like, their defense has been number one almost all season. Um, but they just were in a rut um, offensively for so long. But now they're really stepping it up. And, and I think that, I mean, like, they play Oklahoma State at home. They have TCO away and they have Texas at home, which should be three wins for them. And then they have Iowa State away to end the season. Like, if if Tech wins three games, then they're, you know. Yeah, they have a chance at the regular season. Another thing that you like to look at, um, that I like to look at, is who are these teams that are coming off of making a decent run in the tournament that could, like, potentially make the jump to being a Final Four team? And I think Tech is potentially one of those teams just because of how well they did Um against pretty quality opposition last year. Um, they had to play Stephen F. Austin, Florida, and Purdue until they lost to the eventual national champion Villanova's in the Elite Eight. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a team that if you're looking at sort of um, a team that could make a jump that isn't really in the top five-ish, however you want to handicap the national title contenders... Um, they're a team that could potentially make a run, especially given that they do that one thing that they do really, really well. They defend like crazy. Um, I don't know if I have anything else beyond that. Um, Florida State is a team that I've been sort of worried about being a boogeyman for Marquette um, because yeah. their athleticism could give them a ton of issues in a 3-6 matchup. Um, so I was kind of hoping that they would stomp Carolina. So or at least they, win at Carolina. Yeah, so there wouldn't be any conversation about that anymore. Um, they did not. They got beaten fairly solidly. Um, so I that, for me, like teams that are in sort of that 5-6 um, range, depending on where Marquette ends up, um, yeah. the scariest team in there for me um, is still Florida State. Um, you know, none of the other teams really no, I, yeah, terrify me. Florida State and Maryland... Um, for sure. And then, uh, I mean, probably don't want to see if Washington can play themselves up to a six. Oh, yeah. Well, um, no. no. 
if if you're if you are a team that has potential to make a deep run and you end up drawing um, one of the zone teams, that is not a fun thing for you. No, and it's not that you can't beat the zone teams, but the zone teams are freaking difficult as hell to prepare for because it's like everything you've done offensively this season um, that works and that you go to in your sort of muscle memory, you have to just completely change for one game. It's why Syracuse has been consistently outperforming their seed whenever they sneak into the tournament. Um, beyond that, um, I think we are just, you know, I'm super excited for the Villanova game. I think it potentially, I'm not sure if I'm totally in on the biggest game of the Steve Wojciechowski era. Um, cause like a, it feels like the next game is always that, especially in this season. Um, and I don't know. If they lose, I don't think it's like oh, they just what a they yeah. blew an opportunity. They'll be fine if they lose, um, but I think it's a really exciting opportunity um, to clinch a share of the Big East Conference. Um, to even say that in like three weeks ago, before we played Villanova, um, they like to have that opportunity now as opposed to like maybe at the end of the game. Um, crazy and yeah, absurd just what a gratifying experience and um you know this team is probably going to underperform in the Big East tournament just because that's always a, a sort of a bugaboo place for them and they're probably going to be the number one seed so underperforming is not winning um and who knows what they'll do in the tournament given how much of a crapshoot that is um but it's really, really gratifying that um, the sort of uh, what I heard referred to as a large sample size accomplishment of winning a regular season title is just one win away um, and a win against um, you know the team that it would only be fit- fitting to vanquish to accomplish that. So um, looking forward to that this week and uh, yeah. I guess. We'll, we'll probably get back together before then to uh, talk the, uh, s- well, n- you know, maybe, I guess. Uh, we'll see. Th- yeah, we'll see. Um, if, well, we, we, only, we only really spent time on Nova. Uh, we get Creighton at home on Sunday, March 3rd. Uh, so uh, I'm assuming we'll be back with another episode before then, um, more than likely. More than likely. Um, we'll keep you posted, though. Yeah. Uh, if not, I mean... Creighton's a team that took some wizardry to beat in Omaha earlier this year. Um, playing at the five serves should be a better matchup this time. Um, and hopefully, I mean, Creighton was just stupid hot from three against us. So we just need Creighton to shoot a little bit more average, and I think it's not that big of a deal. So, uh, you know, I guess until then, um, maybe we will be back before then, maybe not. But, uh, we'll see, but uh, in, until then, uh, win a game, win a conference.